March 15, 2001, in Boise, Idaho. That is where our story truly starts. Two-seed Iowa State was set to take on the 15-seed Hampton Pirates. The Cyclones had capped off their second consecutive Big 12 regular season title a few weeks earlier. There were few coaches in college basketball hotter than the Cyclones' head man, Larry Eustachie. This was supposed to be Iowa State's first step in another deep run through the NCAA tournament. They had been one of the best teams in the country the previous season before falling in the Elite Eight in, well, controversial fashion. Instead, the Cyclones came out flat and, well, you remember what happened. Inside, the big fella! Time running down. Tinsley off the iron. It's over. Oh my God. It's over. Despite the loss, few men in college basketball were more well regarded nationally than Eustachie. Heck, he'd been the national coach of the year less than a year earlier. He was Iowa State's sacred cow, the golden goose. Larry Eustachie was untouchable. That is, until a January night in Columbia, Missouri, less than two years later. From Cyclone Fanatic Media, this is CF Chronicles, Larry's Last Days. Iowa State lost to the Missouri Tigers 64-59 at Mizzou Arena on January 22, 2003. It was the final loss in a string of four consecutive the team had suffered over the prior two weeks. After the game, Eustachie said, quote, This is the real world. Our guys have to get tougher. Randy Peterson has covered Iowa State athletics off and on for more than four decades. He was there that night in Columbia. I remember seeing, looking at Larry after the game went during the postgame, and he actually looked distraught. Larry got going on the sidelines anyway um, during a, whatever, 30-point blowout. Mm-hmm. Larry worked up a lather on the sidelines. We all know that coaches are perfectionists, but Larry was took that another step. At this point, the back-to-back Big 12 regular season championships had become nothing but a memory. The Cyclones had struggled to a 12-19 and record in 2001 and 2002. A few weeks prior to the game in Columbia, the program seemed to be back on track, going 10-1 and in non-conference play. But then came 0-4 start to the conference slate. Something had clearly changed in the Iowa State men's basketball program since the magical runs in 2000 and 2001. Regardless... Most everything after the loss that night was business as usual. Here's Randy Peterson again. So I went back to the hotel, um, went to the restaurant, you know, sat down by myself initially. And Larry came down, which was nothing out of the ordinary. Out of the, nothing out of the ordinary. You, you know, y'all know that Larry, you know, didn't travel with the team. The team f- flew, obviously, and Larry, you know, said he didn't like to fly, so he he would drive back the next morning or, or, or whatever. So Larry sat there with me for a, for a little while. I was good friends with the with the people in the rest, the bar area of the restaurant there. If it wasn't crowded, I like pizza a little bit. <laughs> I've been known to like pizza. So there was an old Chicago across the street. So the guy ran a bar. If it wasn't crowded, he'd let me get walk across the street and get old Chicago. So before Larry came down, I'd ordered old Chicago. I just ordered it. So Larry came down. We talked for a while. And then um, a couple other guys walked in. Walked in, and I, I, I think I went across to get my pizza and bring it back over. And, um, you know, Larry's gone, which no big deal. He's got friends. Larry had friends everywhere. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time that one of the guys that walked in was Josh Cronkey. Josh Cronkey was a redshirt junior on the Missouri basketball team. His college career was never much to take notice of, averaging just 2.6 points per game across his four seasons for the Tigers. You might know of his dad, though. Stan Cronkey the owner of the Los Angeles Rams, Denver Nuggets, Colorado Avalanche, and the soccer club Arsenal? Yeah, that's Stan Kroenke. 
Where Eustachie and Kroenke had gone that night would become clear in the days and months following. That process? That process started with a message board? Pictures of Eustachie standing among six college-aged females were posted on a Missouri message board the next day. Now Cyclone Fanatic contributor Brent Bloom was a teenager patrolling the Iowa State message boards in 2003 when he came across a thread that caught his eye. This is back when message boards really were kind of a thing. Like they were pretty new. And so I was 17, 18 years old. And, you know, most kids were playing Halo or, you know, NCAA football. I was doing that too. But I also was, you know, canvassing message boards. And I remember seeing a thread before the register story broke on one of the Cyclone sites. I think it's the whatever cyclone report was then and just thinking wow that's kind of strange but not thinking anything of it because you figured okay if this happened on a missouri message board why haven't we heard about it in the register while bloom was wondering why nobody had heard about these pictures in the des moines register tom Watoski, the paper's sports projects writer and investigative reporter was opening his email i was on the internet i think i got a, a an email from somebody that said, you better take a look at this website. So I called up the website, and there was this picture of Coach Stacy with a bunch of the bunch of students, clearly students, uh, clearly at a party. It really was a as fairly innocent a picture as as you might imagine. It was just them standing there, mugging a little bit for the for the camera, but it was obviously a picture that. It was a Missouri fan uh, message board, and it raised some questions in my mind. At the same time, Randy Peterson was making the long drive from Columbia to Des Moines. While people did have cell phones in 2003, this was before the world moved a million miles an hour and news breaks at your fingertips in the same way it does today. But we'll come back to that. Peterson arrived back in Des Moines completely unknowing of what had been brewing on the internet the entire day. I drove home the next morning. And when I got home, my wife, you know, it was already up in the air what was going on, apparently. And I, like I said, I was clueless. I'm driving home from, from Columbia, Missouri, so yeah, I'm driving five hours. I am absolutely clueless of, of what went on other than the fact that Iowa State got beat. So when I got home, my wife, the first thing my wife said, what about these pictures? And I said, what picture? What are you talking about? And so she'd heard about the pictures. And I said, I don't have any clue. Tell me more. And so she was filling me in on everything, um, you know, that, that was out there at that point in time. So um, that it, it, it absolutely shocked me. So that's how I found out was, was Patty. Really, the picture was rather innocuous. It was just Eustachie posing with a group of Missouri students. Not that big of a deal. Still, the register needed to get a statement from Iowa State Athletic Director Bruce Vandevelde. I went up to my boss, uh, who at the time was Randy Brubaker, and um, I showed it to him. And he said, well, let's find out, first of all, if it's, if it's a legitimate picture, and let's find out what Bruce Vandeveld, who is the athletic director, thinks about it. So I put in a call to Bruce, and a little bit later, I had not talked to Bruce yet, but a little bit later, uh, Randy Peterson came up to me and said he had just gotten a call from Larry Stacy, who said, to, words to the effect, I'm, I, I don't remember, it's been so long, uh, but the words to the effect were, if you print that picture, I'll never talk to you guys again, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to talk to you guys again, even if you do a story on it. Until that time, Peterson had a good relationship with you, Stacy. But this marked the beginning of the end of their friendship. Larry did call, and he said that he would never talk to me if this would ever if this hit the hit the Des Moines Register. And I told Larry, I said, I don't have any control over that. I said, you did it. It's out there. It's in the air. 
you know, I, I said, this is significant. This is a big deal. You're a, a top-notch coach in college basketball. You're in public figure. You're on the payroll of, of the state of Iowa. I said, you're high profile. You're a former AP coach of the year, for God's sakes. Darn sure almost got your team to the final four. Probably should have got that team to the final four. If they wouldn't have, that's a game that they lost to Michigan State in whatever it was, 2000, where Larry got kicked out two minutes ago, whatever it was. I said, yeah, that's a story, Larry. Um, if, I'm, if that's the way you feel, that's, that's the way you feel. But, but um, if I have anything to say about this, it's a story. Later that afternoon, the paper did receive a statement from Van Velde, who declined to participate in this project following multiple phone conversations. He did acknowledge the authenticity of the photo. Quote, he was just pausing to have his picture taken with some fans who saw him out for dinner, Van Velde said at the time. Larry's the kind of coach that if you ask him for an autograph or take a picture, he will do that. He is that kind of coach, which is a good thing. For Watoski, that was nearly enough to let the story go and move forward. We wrote a small story. Uh, it ran inside the pages, and it really didn't amount to too much. But as I looked at the picture, I noticed one thing, and it was a clock. And if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong about this, it said something like 1 o'clock. Well, it was pretty clear that wasn't 1 o'clock in the afternoon we were talking about. And that sort of raised some additional questions in my mind, but it was one of those kinds of things where you really don't know what direction it's going to go. And so I more or, le more or less just sort of dropped it. And in the process, uh, a few days later, I'm uh, talking to a guy who I know and known for a number of years who says that his daughter, who was going to the University of Missouri at the time, knew something about it. And there, there was more to it than that. Time for a quick word from our friends at Carl Chevrolet. If you're looking to purchase a certified pre-owned vehicle, there's no better place to do it than Carl Chevrolet in Ankeny and Stewart. Even if they don't have the pre-owned vehicle you're looking for on their lot, they will go out and find it for you. The process will be the same as any other vehicle purchase. Carl Chevrolet's buying experts will interview you to learn exactly what you're looking for, and then they will handle the rest with the intention of having it to you within 10 days. That way, you get exactly what you want while still having it backed by Carl Chevrolet. That's why Carl Chevrolet is your dealer for life. Check them out at carlchevrolet.com or carlchevroletstewart.com, or you can always visit them at Carl Chevrolet off Exit 90 at The Rock in Ankeny or Carl Chevrolet of Stewart just west of the Des Moines Metro. Now back to the podcast. Watoski told his source to let his daughter know if anyone wanted to go on the record, they should give him a call. For more than a month, he did not hear anything from anyone in Columbia. Meanwhile, Iowa State was wrapping up its 2002-2003 season with a 15-12 regular season record. Shortly before the Cyclones were set to begin playing the Big 12 tournament, Watoski arrived at work to find a message on his desk. I come into the office one morning, and there is a message for me from one of our uh, part-timers, one of our phone answerers, who says a guy had called the night before and had talked to him about how he had pictures of that party and that he had heard that we might be interested in that and had left his name and, and his number. That afternoon, after talking with my bosses uh, about it, I gave him a call, and it was a fairly lengthy interview. It was uh, essentially off the record uh, because I, I needed to know what, what he had or what he said he had. The young man Watoski mentioned is then-Missouri student Sean Devereaux. 
During his conversation with Witoski, Devereaux paints a story considerably different than the one Iowa State did when asked about the original picture in January. Part of it was once we set the ground rules in terms of the nature of the conversation, you know, that it would be off the record. Uh, and I explained to him that whatever he would tell me then, I would ask him again on the record if I wanted to pursue the story. I mean, remember, when you're dealing with something like this, and this was over the telephone, so you're dealing with a whole lot of unknowns here. And so we were, I just wanted to be careful. Um, and I had him explain the complete circumstance of the night. How many people were there? Wh- you know, what time did did this all start? What time did it end? Uh, you know, what about the behavior of Coach Stacy? Um, all of those things. I mean, I could see, you know, from the picture that there were men and women there, uh, that there was drinking going on. I mean, the question was, was he drinking? That was another question that I wanted to have confirmed one way or another. Um, the circumstance of who lived in that apartment, along Sean and and uh, how many other people lived there and that type of thing. And, um, and as the conversation continued, it became pretty clear that this was just a college party that a head basketball coach had showed up to. But what had made it sort of more interesting, or at least newsworthy, was that he had been, he stayed there very late, that he got very drunk, that he, um, I need to be careful here. He engaged in conversations with women that made you think that he wanted to have further conversation with them. Um, and so when we ended, then the only thing I wanted to make sure of was that those pictures were legit. And that's when I asked him for the, for the negatives. As the conversation rolled on, Witoski could tell it would eventually come to whether the paper would compensate Devereaux for the remainder of the photos he took that night. Witoski had already decided with his bosses that would not be the case. And thus it landed on his shoulders to convince Devereaux to give them the photos for nothing. I mentioned that, well, probably if this is a real story and it happens, you won't have any trouble selling them, but we're not going to buy them. And do you really think that this is an, you know, an important thing to get out there? Uh, in the conversation, uh, I, I learned from him that he had gone to a, um, a Jesuit high school in St. Louis. And I had gone to a Jesuit high school in Milwaukee when I was growing up. And so I sort of knew the language, and I appealed to his better sense. And he said, sure, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll share them. And I said, well, the, the one thing, I, and, and then I said to him, I said, well, look, the one thing I do need to know is how were these pictures taken? And he said, well, I've got negatives. It was an old box negative, you know, how the, you used to buy uh, uh, port little cameras that you know had had uh, negatives, and I said, "Well, I need to see the negatives because I need to be able to ascertain whether or not this is real or not." And he said, "Okay, I'll send them to you." Several more weeks went by, and the negatives never arrived. Again, Watoski started to put the story into the back of his mind until he found an envelope in his mailbox with a note saying, "Sorry for the delay." I went on spring break, and you know how that goes. There was a, an envelope from the kid, and all of the negatives were in the envelope. And uh, 
we, I took them back to our photo department, one of my trusted uh, photographers. Um, he and I went through them. We were we, first of all, we checked them for, you know, alterations or something like that, and that that wasn't there. And some of the pictures uh, were pretty. Oh, the, let's put it this way: they, this entire the entire justification for the story was based on his contract which insisted that he represent Iowa State University in a good way, in a professional way, both publicly and privately. That, that was the specific language in the contract. Well, as we looked at the pictures, the question of whether or not he was representing the Iowa State University in a professional manner certainly came forward. I proceeded then to do the reporting on the story. Randy Peterson remembers seeing the photos for the first time. They depict Eustachie kissing women on the cheek and posing with groups of college students. The photos backed up the story Devereaux told Witoski over the phone weeks earlier. I was shocked. I was appalled. I, I said, oh my God, this is true. And, I, and then I looked at Witoski and then the journalism part kicks in, kicks in and I says, what's next? Witoski's next move was to go to Columbia and meet the people who had participated in the party face to face. I went down to Columbia and um, had told him I was coming, that I wanted to meet with him and anybody else that was willing to talk on the record about what happened at that party. And then also I wanted to discuss, particularly with a couple of the women, the pictures that, that were involved. And so I went down there, I spent a couple of days down there talking to, to as many of the, of the participants in that party that was willing to talk, of which there were maybe five or six. The young ladies were um, pretty specific about the behavior, how he, they didn't particularly appreciate it, but they didn't really know how to deal with it. And the guys were basically saying, you know, where's the effect of that? He partied really hard, and it, and it was really sort of a pain to get him out of the house. Then it was a matter of coming back and talking with the bosses about how we wanted to proceed. While Witoski was doing further legwork on the story, Iowa State wrapped up its season with a 54-53 loss to Iowa in the second round of the NIT. At this point, nobody inside Iowa State's athletic department knew Witoski had uncovered the story that would lead to the NIT loss being Eustachie's last game as the head coach of the Cyclones, especially once Witoski learned of another incident that had taken place the previous year in Manhattan, Kansas. I reached out to a number of my sources that I had developed over the years inside the big well inside the big 12 and there had been talk of another incident or party down at kansas state um i knew the athletic director down there at the time because he had been at iowa state it was max urich and max um said that he had also heard about it but that since it didn't involve anybody on his staff, he really didn't get involved, but that he knew someone who did know about it. And he gave me the, uh, the phone number, and I talked to him. He was a young man, a journalism student, um, who um, basically became a source of mine. Uh, he didn't really want to get involved, partially because he had known about the party and he never had told the bosses at his news organization as a stringer what had what he had heard. And I didn't have any problem with that. And in the process, um, 
this young man gave me the name of a, and it was, I believe it was at a fraternity house, and they gave me a name of the of a fraternity member who really d- did not appreciate Coach Stacy being at at the, at their fr- frat party, and I called him up and he talked about. Coach Eustace's behavior that he was telling uh, the gals from Kansas State that were at that party that they should have gone to Kansas and, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, got done, and he had given me his sister's name, and I just thought, well, she's going to Kansas State. Maybe I'll give her a call. So I did. And uh, when I got her on the phone, she, it was pretty funny. She said, she said, oh, my brother gets things wrong all the time. Let me tell you what really happened. And she just told me the whole story. And it rang pretty true as to the Missouri story. And so that solidified the credibility of the story, that this wasn't a one-time event, that, you know, a one-time mistake, that type of thing. The story then Kansas State sophomore Nicole Wanger told Witoski was how Eustachie had arrived at a frat party on the Kansas State campus in the early morning hours after the Cyclones lost to the Wildcats in January 2002. He told her he knew there was a party going on and was just looking to see if any of his players were there. He commented on her appearance before ultimately getting in an argument with her older brother. Witoski had everything he needed to write the story that would run on an April Monday morning. First, he had to talk to Bruce Vandevelde to show him what he had uncovered. The next step was to talk to Bruce Vandevelde about it and to show him the pictures. And uh, we did that interview. Uh, by that time, you Stacy knew that we had a lot more than um, than just the one picture that I had been down there. Bruce was, uh, he didn't really, it was pretty clear he really didn't know where this thing was going to go. And he said that, you know, Coach Stacy regretted the situation, uh, hoped that, you know, you know, it would not happen again, that type of thing. That interview lasted maybe 45 minutes or so. And we got into the various issues about his travel, uh, you know, independently of the team and, and that type of thing. And by that time, I knew that uh, Coach Stacy was represented by a, a local Des Moines lawyer who I had known for a number of years and had dealt with. And we had our uh, meeting on the Saturday before the story ran. And uh, it was somewhat contentious. I've known Jerry Crawford for a number of years. And so we both knew that we were... We were all both doing our jobs, and basically it boiled down to one question. And uh, I mean, and, and he tried to explain it away that this, these are the kinds of things that happen, and all that. And I finally looked at him and I said, Jerry, this is what his contract says: is that he is to provide positive representation of Iowa State University, both publicly and privately. And do these pictures show that he does, that, that he violated this contract or not? Jerry never answered. Do you love country music? I'm not talking that douche country Chris Williams is always talking about, but real country music. If so, you'll be in heaven at the Guthrie River Ruckus from July 25th to the 27th, just 45 minutes from West Des Moines in Guthrie Center. Where else can you hear Chris Cagle, Kit Moore, Diamond Rio, Mitchell Tenpenny, and other country music acts in one spot? Check out GuthrieRiverRuckus.com for the full list of acts and ticket information. To make it even better, Cyclone fans can get $15 off their concert tickets by using the promo code CYCLONES at checkout. 
That's promo code Cyclones at checkout at GuthrieRiverRuckus.com for $15 off your tickets. I hope to see you out at the Guthrie River Ruckus and Guthrie Center from July 25th to the 27th. When the April 28th, 2003 edition of the Des Moines Register arrived on doorsteps, subscribers were met by an above-the-fold headline that read, U.S. in Dilemma over North Korea. The centerfold was inhabited by a photo of the I-235 bridges reduced to rubble. At the very bottom of the front page was the headline, Eustachie's party behavior called poor judgment. I was really um, insistent that we do it in a low-key manner because um, I, I thought that there would be greater credibility to the story if we didn't try to sensationalize it or, or just really blow it up. I mean, we knew the strength of the story that we had. We knew the strength of the pictures that we had. I didn't see any particular reason into just, you know, making it a banner headline, that type of thing. One other interesting aspect to it was that the most damning picture that we had was of a very, very lovely young lady standing next to you, Stacy, and you, Stacy, with his tongue hanging out of his mouth. It has been published in other places. We never did because she asked us not to. She had been through a, a pretty grueling time with a death in her family. And so the question was, do we really need that picture? And I didn't think we did. And talking to the bosses, they all agreed, particularly because of, of the situation that the woman had been in. And, and she really, really didn't want to. She, she understood we could. And we just decided not to do it because we really didn't have to. The front page story jumped to page 3A. Readers were greeted by four of the photos Sean Devereaux had supplied to the newspaper. The remainder of the story spanned the entire page. Regretfully, Eustacia could not be reached for this project. Witoski's story included this statement from him. Quote, in the past, I have made poor decisions that I regret, Eustacia said. I talked with President Joffrey and Bruce Vandevelde last week about a variety of issues. I love Iowa State University and all of the people who support our team. It's important that I represent ISU in a manner that sheds a positive light on the university and the Cyclone men's basketball team. At the time, Vandevelde declined to comment on whether disciplinary action would be taken against Eustachy. He noted his original statement from January had been largely based on speculation provided to him by Eustachy himself. Soon, what started as a small story that ran on the inside pages of the Des Moines Register in January would become a microcosm of the future of journalism in the digital era. CF Chronicles' Larry's Last Days was written and narrated by Jared Stansbury. Sound editing was done by Ross Peterson. Some of the audio in this episode is from CBS Sports. The quotations in this episode are from the Des Moines Register. Music heard in this episode is Radio Rocks from AudioNautics.com and Thinking Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>